Thank you, everybody. Oh, my goodness. Worship team, thank you for... My goodness. I wept most of the way through last week's worship, and I did that part of today as well. Thank you. Oh, Father. Father, we want to see only you in the midst of all that goes on around us, in the midst of so many opinions and so many thoughts and so many ideas and so many ways of thinking. We just want to see you. Thank you and worship that you gave us a glimpse of who you are. Now, Father, we just, we just set aside preconceived ideas of what it's supposed to be like. We want to see only you, Jesus. Only you, only you. We're in a month where we felt the focus was the power of the cross, living from that place of the power of the cross. And I want to talk this morning about the mercy seat. I've had a pretty challenging week. Did anybody ever have challenging weeks? I've had a challenging week. And uh, Sally's going through some things. I shared that last week that you know, it are not our choice, but we just, we, we believe we're walking out in obedience right now. Um, Sally start, had her first chemo on Wednesday last week. And we didn't want to do this, but every time we prayed, the Lord told us to go in it with no fear and that she would come out of it without the smell of smoke. And so, so when we went into the infusion department of the oncology piece of Mercy Hospital, Sal went in and began to prophesy over nurses. And uh, we saw two nurses have pretty powerful encounters with the Lord Jesus as she's sitting there receiving this stuff. And it's, it's just that crazy time when so just to be who I'm to be with her, I've been getting up about two o'clock every morning and with the intention of praying through the rest of the night to just see this thing break. The only challenge has been every time I've prayed this week, every time, last, all of last week, every time I got up to pray, the Lord talked about this morning. And I was getting so frustrated I want to pray for my wife. But every time I would go to intercede for her, he would shift to what he wants to speak today. And how, do you, how, do you, how many of you know when he does that, he wants to say something? We're going to start this morning in Hebrews chapter not 6. We're going to go to Hebrews quite a bit today, but... We read this verse, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, both sure and steadfast, and one that enters within the veil. That idea of an anchor, anchored inside the veil, actually in the Holy of Holies. I remember on one of, one of my earlier memories, and I was probably, probably seven or eight years old, I don't know exactly, we... My parents were going back to Kenya by ship, and we took a ship through the Mediterranean, and we stopped in one of the ports of the Mediterranean, I don't know which one, but when my dad and I got off a ship all the way across the, the path that we were walking, literally across it was an anchor chain. And I know I'm only that high, but that chain was massive absolutely massive. And I remember getting down and sticking my head through the links in the chain and playing and climbing over it. It's just this massive chain. And, and the, 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 the scripture here is tying that to our hope. 
your hope is so powerful <laughs> that it's tied into the presence of God by this massive anchor chain. And he's irresistibly pulling us into his presence with this anchor. We're being drawn into his presence. And, you know, I think it's easy to resist. It's easy to get our eyes on the stuff around us. But if we'll just surrender, what was the word he, she used? Surrender, what was the words Kathy used? Conquer. <laughs> that massive anchor chain will conquer you. <laughs> Whether we just surrender to your heart drawing us into your presence and drawing us into that place, we surrender to it, Lord Jesus. When it speaks about the veil, it's obviously referring to the tabernacle and so Moses goes up on the mountain. He spends 40 days. And in that 40 days, he gets the tablets of the law, but he also gets all the details of this tabernacle and, and the furniture in the tabernacle and how do you build it. And I, I, there's creation in Scripture is in two chapters, and the tabernacle's in multiple chapters. I mean, there's so many chapters on what this thing is. And, and what, it, there's just this, this massive amount of information. And it was because the tabernacle was going to be the visible mark of the presence of God among his people. It was what identified them. They were identified by the presence of God being there. They were identified by this tabernacle. And the, the, the tabernacle is... Is, is in three parts. It's, it's got an outer court where the sacrifices take place. It's got a, it's got a holy place where the showbread and, and different things are happening. And then you come up to a curtain, and just before the curtain is an altar of incense, and then you go into the holy of holies, that inner court. And this is what God told Moses about that inner place about the building of the Ark of the Covenant. And there I will meet with you from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim which are upon the Ark of the Testimony. I will speak to you about all that I will give you in commandment for the sons of Israel. So in this inner place, in this inner sanctuary, in this inner place, there, there's, a, there's a tabernacle. I'll throw that picture up for me. There's a tabernacle, and that tabernacle has several parts to it. The, the, the box of the, of the Ark of the Covenant. The box contains a bowl of manna. It contains the tablets of the law. It contains Aaron, Aaron's rod that budded. Those three things are inside it. But over the cover, over that, over that ark, the lid to it is called the mercy seat. God makes this incredible statement to Moses that it's there at that place on that mercy seat is where I'm going to meet with you. Something's going to happen which has never happened before. Now Hebrews talks about this whole tabernacle and the Ark of the Covenant. And it speaks in terms of it's a shadow. Um, it's a shadow of good things to come. So everything we look at here is a shadow of something that's going to become a reality. Something that in the future, a, a shadow is, is that something or someone gets in between the light source and the surface. And so here for the first time since the fall, God himself, heaven, gets between and begins to release a shadow that comes down through the darkness and onto the earth. And what we're going to look at here is the shadow to start with. What's the shadow look like? I need some help.
didn't want anybody to die today, so we didn't bring an ox cart. right on top of there, perfect. Thank you guys. I love that we have so many creatives in this body that thank Farley for this one. He, uh, in the middle of all his work last week, he kind of went to work for me, so. So God's instruction to Moses was that it's at this place that I'm going to meet with you. It's at this place that I'm going to meet with you on the mercy seat. Let's just look at the shadow for a few minutes. The shadow was first a place of payment. So every year the high priest would come into the Holy of Holies, and that's, a, that's another whole story because the, there's a, the Holy of Holies is separated from the holy place by a veil, and Scripture tells us that veil was the thickness of a hand, so it's, it's at least three and a half, four inches thick. It's a huge, thick, heavy veil, and that veil blocked or covered the presence. You couldn't come into the presence because of that veil. And there's no door, there's no separation, there's no seam in it. So in, in the, the write, rabbinical writings, the best suggestion that they have is that the altar of incense just outside, the, the smoke of that incense would get thicker and thicker and thicker and thicker. And then at some point, the high priest would literally step through the veil into the Holy of Holies. See, it was a miracle even to get here. Get that down in your system. Get that down inside you. The miracle of access, but then the blood was put on the mercy seat. And that blood on the mercy seat, God says, I can meet with you there. I can come because the payment for sin is made. Now, it was a temporary payment. It had to be done every year because it wasn't a permanent payment. But that temporary payment was made every single year. And every single year, the high priest was able to come in and access the presence of God. But it was not just a place of payment. It was a place of agreement. The, the word that we find in Exodus, I'll meet with you there, that, that word, I'll meet with you there, is the same word we find in Amos 3.3, where it says, how can two walk together unless they be agreed? So the Father's saying that at this place, at this mercy seat, this place of blood, this place where my blood is poured out, this place... I can come back into agreement with you. The agreement is over the blood. The cross is where the blood was shed, but the mercy seat is where the agreement was made. The cross was where the blood was shed. But right here in the presence of God and in, in, in what represents his presence to the people, that's where that work of atonement happens. I can come into agreement with you. Another word that is used in that same passage is, is the covering, the incredible truth that this blood is a covering. There, there's something happening on this way. Inside this box are the tablets of the law. And if God looks at Moses across the mercy seat, all he's going to see Moses in view of the law. But with the mercy seat in place, he sees him through the blood. He sees him through the blood. He sees him through the blood. 
What does God see when he looks at you this morning? The power of the cross is it changes how God sees you. It's also a place of fellowship. It's a place of that we come and we, we gather and we, we get to know it later in the book of Exodus. It makes this incredible statement that Moses and God talked face to face like someone talks to a friend. What, what makes that possible? It's the blood. It's the blood. It's the blood. It's the blood. That same word agreement that is used in, in Amos 3.3 is used several other places in Scripture. But one, one of the places that, that it's used is when Solomon finishes the temple and he's going to dedicate the temple. Um, it says people gathered to Solomon. The word gathered to there in that verse is the same word agreement, the same word for meeting. So literally, in that place of the presence, people gather into fellowship because of the blood, because of the presence, because of who he is. It's the blood that allows us to fellowship across every barrier, across every racial and ethnic and any barrier that could ever be conceived. It's the blood that lets us fellowship across that. It's not our political stances or our ideas or our views. None of those things have any relevance. It's this blood that pulls us together. Another place that that same word is used in Scripture is is actually used in Exodus for betrothal. If you're making a commitment to someone, if you're making literally getting engaged to someone, at, at this moment, God gets engaged <laughs> to his bride over the blood, over the blood, over the blood. The power of the cross is that we understand what an incredible, incredible privilege we have to see things differently because of what he's done. Because of what he's done. Then we come to Jesus. The perfect sacrifice. We read in Hebrews 9 that he entered once for all. (laughs) That yearly pouring out of the blood of the sacrifice. The sacrifice that paid the penalty of death that the person deserved. The sacrifices, I mean, the the numbers of sacrifices offered in the outer court are absolutely staggering number of sacrifices. That blood paid the death that sin deserved. But Jesus paid it once for all. Once for all. Look, Look what that verse says. He entered once for all into the holy place, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, securing occasional redemption. Temporary, no. Eternal. His blood, his blood. His blood on this mercy seat purchased eternal redemption. Get that into our hearts. There are people right now that we get so frustrated with, but he has an eternal redemption for them. They just got to find it. They got to meet at the mercy seat because the mercy seat's where that transaction takes place. It's where the blood that dripped from the cross. There, there, there's some who believe, and I, I'm not, I'm not, not going to share my opinion. 
There's some that actually believe that the, the mercy seat literally was down below the cross. And I, I do believe that blood of the cross was dripped on the mercy seat. I, it, there's nothing historically that tells us that's true. I think it was probably in the, ta- in the tabernacle. But somehow there's an act where once for all his blood goes on this temporary shadow. And it becomes a permanent revelation of who he is and what he is. I don't know if there's a, a model of this in heaven. It, it could be. There's a verse that suggests that. But, but, but that, it, what's important is it's on there. It's here that that transition takes place that makes the payment for sin, that brings us back into fellowship, that covers us, that restores us, allows us to walk in agreement with him. Romans 3, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. This was to demonstrate his righteousness. Because of the forbearance of God, he passed over sins previously committed. That word propitiation is an interesting word. We don't use it in English very much. But it's actually translated in Hebrew as mercy seat. It's actually translated as mercy seat because this is that place of propitiation. This is that place of payment. This is that place where everything that sin created was satisfied by the one blood of the Lord Jesus. And he brings us into wholeness. He brings us into completeness because of what he did. His blood on the mercy seat was the propitiation you ever preach in, in Mexico or in Brazil, they're actually, their actual Spanish word for mercy seat is propitiatorio, the place of propitiation. It's here. That's the propitiatorio. That, that's that place where his blood was poured out. That's that place where mercy happens. That's that place where that exchange of our sin was made for his righteousness. It's that place. His blood, not your good reactions, it's not your good actions, it's not your right views, it's his blood poured out. I love this verse, it also has reference to the Passover lamb. This was (laughs) because in forbearance God passed over sins previous. Where, Where do you remember that phrase from, passed over sins? It was the blood on the doorposts that caused him to pass over that household. It was the blood. It was the blood. It was the blood. The first place that Sally and I went to the mission field was a tribe called the Rendili in northern Kenya. And they had never, it was a completely unreached people group. The Bible wasn't yet in their language. And uh, they... You know, we're trying to learn this language and we're working through a trade language to get through to them. And one of the early things we ran across was that in this particular language, there is no word for I'm sorry. There's no word in the language to express the concept of I'm sorry. Think about presenting the gospel when there's no concept in the language, in the culture, for saying I'm sorry, because you're never wrong. I remember it was, it was such a fight to get people to know they were sinners before you get them saved, because if you're not wrong, you just, you're never wrong. So why do we need the Savior? Because we're never wrong. About two or three years, probably two years, second year that we were there, we, we, we had heard this annual celebration, but we kind of stayed away because you don't know what's going on, some of these cultural things. And there was this celebration called the Sodio. So several of us just decided to walk down and just kind of walk through the village during Sodio and as soon as we walked in the village, we saw this incredible act taking place. 
every household had two goats out in front of the house. And they were slitting the throat of one and they were taking the blood and they were putting the blood on the doorposts of their house. And some of the blood went on the back of the other goat and then they were driving these second goats out into the wilderness to be eaten by the lions. Guess how we got them saved? In their tradition, how it got there, I don't know. The, 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 the tribe that they borrowed this from was called the Sambudu tribe. And they had their own challenges because the Sambudu tribe, they, had a, they believed there was a holy book. But the cow ate the book. And the only way the book could ever come back was for the cow to give up the book. And so we had several people got saved out of that tribe. And a couple of them became local pastors, but we were not having any breakthrough. And then all the pastors got together and they brought a cow and they paid for the translation of the Bible into Samburu with cows. And the people accepted the Bible as the cows having given up. Culture is hilarious, guys. Culture is so much fun. Because you see God at work. There's, there's his imprint in every culture. There's his imprint. We just have to find the imprint. Because it's the blood. 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 <laughs> We were so excited when we saw that story. I don't think I've ever been so excited in all my life. First John. He is the mercy seat for our sins. Literally, propitiation, mercy seat. Same word, same thought, same idea. Not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world catch that. Every sin since Adam and Eve is paid for by dear. Every sin. Every sin. Every sin. All you have to do is surrender to it. Accept it. Receive it. And this blood covers every sin. Isn't that incredible? What a God, what a God we serve. All sins, all sins, the price is paid all the way back. In that the curse of the fall is reversed because of the blood. Everything sin did is undone because of the blood. It's like history wound itself. And we find ourselves back in a position where we're created to be. How willing are we to be connected to the anchor chain? <laughs> and drawn irresistibly into the presence of God where we live in that place. I don't think we've seen anything yet. I think we've seen the beginnings of some really cool stuff, but I don't think we've seen anything yet. With the payment, sin loses its power. And we're transformed into our new identity. And we talked about the shadow that this produced. But let's look exactly at some of the elements of that shadow. Because there are certain things that happened in the fall that I believe in Christ should be reversed. And I think he's going to reverse it in some of our minds this morning. Yes. Number one, relationship with God. Adam exchanged the fellowship and access with God. Daily, daily walking with God. He exchanged that for hiding a veil. But at the cross, that veil was torn. A veil that thick. It's torn top to bottom by the hands of the Father that longs to be back in relationship with you. 
the hands of a father that in love wants to fellowship with you again, that wants relationship with you again. The shadow was that it was a miracle you could get through it. But the reality is, in Christ, that veil's torn, giving us full access to his presence. That's the reality of this moment that we live in, this life that we live right now. You have unrestricted access to the presence of God. If you're not there, it's because this brain gets in the way of that. We let our history trip us up. We let, we let things get in there that shouldn't be in there. Unrestricted access. The second thing is nature. Or they even gave me tablets of the law. Under the mercy seat are the tablets, the Ten Commandments, the law. The law was never intended to save us. The law was always intended to expose our sin. If the mercy seat wasn't in place, then our relationship to God is based on how well we did this week. A lot of people in this room are living like this. A lot of people in this room are struggling with access to his presence because they don't feel like they measured up this week. But that's not the measure. That's not the measure. The blood covered. And so when he looks at you, he doesn't look through the, blood, through the law. He looks through the blood that's on the mercy seat. And so when he looks at you, he sees you through the blood of the Son, which perfectly reflects who the Son is. So he sees you as a son and daughter of, his king, of the king. He sees you through the blood. He sees you through this relationship. Remember Jesus. Remember at his baptism. He said to John, it's, it's fitting for us to fill all righteousness. We need to fulfill all righteousness. John didn't want to baptize Jesus. But Jesus knew there's something that he had to do to be who he needed to be. Because if he didn't come to the cross as a righteous sacrifice, his blood wouldn't be enough. But he fulfilled all righteousness. Jesus said to himself, I didn't come to abolish the law, I came to fulfill it. I came to be what the law required so that my blood on the mercy seat could then make you what the law required, not because of what you've done, because the blood has the power to transform us. When we come to Christ and we, we yield to that blood, we're born again and we're new creations and the seed of that new identity is placed into us. And it's growing in you right now as a seed. A perfectly righteous seed. Perfectly acceptable to God. It's not an excuse to sin. It's the birthing of righteousness in us. So that our character, our nature becomes the same righteousness that we saw in the Son. Told in scripture that. His righteousness is then given to us as a gift. You've received the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness, Romans 5, 17. If you receive that gift of righteousness, then when you stand before him, he no longer looks at you through the tablets of the law. Guys, it's important. Religion will always push you back to the law. 
They'll always push you back to what you haven't done right or haven't, you haven't prayed enough, you haven't fasted enough, you haven't, you haven't given enough, you haven't tied all those things. Listen, Sally and I give more today than we've ever given our life, but it's not out of law, it's out of love. Law was the beautiful, perfect nature of our loving God. But the blood gave us access to him. The blood on the mercy seat lets us meet with him and come back into fellowship with him and communion with him. Blood also has perfect health. Probably should have brought these closer, but. All that, and I don't have my phone in my pocket, so the steps aren't counting. <laughs> That's not fair. Man. One of the items in the ark was Aaron's rod. Just an old dried up stick that he walked with. But there was confusion in Israel and there was division and they took a rod from the leader of each of the tribes and they put those rod into the presence of the ark, not inside, in the presence of the ark. And that dead stick overnight budded, flowered, and produced almonds. That dead thing, that dead thing, that dead thing came back to life. Some of you in this room have some dead stuff. And we need to come to the mercy seat. And we need to let the power of that. The shadow was that it was just a stick. The truth is, in this presence, there's full healing. There's wholeness. Sickness is not God's will for your life. Religion has told you it is. Now, I know God uses the stuff we walk through. Sally and I are walking through some stuff I never, ever would want to walk through at this moment. But we are going to make the devil pay a terrible toll for having touched your body. Everybody we encounter, we're going to change the atmosphere of the oncology department in, in, in uh, mercy. Why? Not, not because I'm angry, but because we carry the presence because the blood was enough. The blood was enough. The blood was enough. Adam exchanged perfect health for germs, disease, decay, defect, death. But on the cross, Jesus took our infirmities and carried away our diseases. Religion will tell you that's only spiritual. I want to tell you that's missing it. In Matthew, we see him ministering, healing sick, healing every disease. And the very next verse, it says, and he did this to show the truth of Isaiah's word, that he carried away our diseases. Peter says the same thing in 2.24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. If you're in this room and there's some deadness in you, some disease in you, I'm even going to speak to the reality of age 
As we age, our bodies don't do all the things that we want them to do. But in his presence, dead things come back to life. Somebody gave Sally a prophetic word that she was going to have another baby. We're resisting that word. <laughs> because as much as I want the life in her, <laughs> not really sure I could handle that right now. <laughs> but what are we believing for? If you're struggling up against that thing of just deadness in your life that you're just trying to struggle with, would you stand up right now? Whatever it is. Just put out your hands just in front of you like this. And you step through the torn veil into the presence. Some of you are going to actually see and experience that right now. <laughs> Father, we just release the power of your presence to reverse any deadness in our bodies. We speak to minds and we say, be whole. We speak to bodies and we say, be whole. We speak to memory loss and confusion. And we say, be reversed now in Jesus' name. Yes. Come into your presence with expectancy that you're at work right now. wholeness, healing. We speak to any chronic illnesses right now. We say be healed in Jesus' name. We speak to weakness in backs and we say be healed in Jesus' name. We speak to pain in bodies and we say be gone now in the name of Jesus. We speak to autoimmune diseases and diabetes and all these other names that try to raise themselves above the name of Jesus. We speak to those things. We speak to cancer in the name of Jesus. And we say, you, you, you are an arrogant lie. And we break you and we curse you in Jesus' name. And we release life and wholeness and healing. We speak to organs that have not function correctly and we reverse those things now in Jesus' name. It's your blood, 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 it's your blood. Your blood that has the power. Just standing, how many of you, just wave your hands if you had a sense of being in his presence just then. Wave your hands at me whole bunch of you around the room. That's excellent. I want to get through these last couple in this last few minutes. The fourth great restoration is a restoration of resources. The other article in the ark was a shadow. It was a shadow of supernatural provision. It was a, a bowl of manna. Where God met a people who had nothing in a place where nothing was available. And he provided everything they needed. It's time for the body of Christ to step back into supernatural provision. Sally and I have experienced in the last year 
some of the craziest supernatural provisions. And every one of them, we just, we just know it was God orchestrated. It was God at work. I pray that for the body of Christ because the resources we need to do what's next are absolutely extraordinary. See, Adam traded full provision in the garden for hard work, thorns, sweat, toil, do it yourself. Here. What a terrible exchange. But at the cross, we're adopted as sons and daughters. And we have the liberty to live under an open heaven because the blood changed our DNA. We're adopted into the family of God. We belong to him. And as sons and daughters of the king, we can actually access provision that isn't available outside of that. This is one of our place, times, I think, that we get so blind to working 40 hours a week and that being our provision. It's very hard to get past our labor producing our income. I'm not saying don't work. We need to work. That's part of this life that we live here. I work as hard as anybody. But in the end, it's not your work that produces the kingdom. It's time for us to access a provision that we have available to us as sons and daughters. If you need to learn to access that better, stand up quickly. Boy, I'm going to run over. Guys, would you tell the children's department I'm going to be about... Sorry, I'm so sorry, Paul, but I, I just didn't get this done in time. I just, I need to finish this. I'll be about five more minutes. Father, forgive us for trusting our own strength and ability. Forgive us for making it all about us. We choose to access provision that comes only from your hand. Provision that comes supernaturally because of our relationship with you. And we choose to trust your supernatural provision more than we trust our natural ability. Forgive us for getting that out of order. The fifth one is restored purpose. We're called to extend his kingdom. Adam exchanged God's purpose, which was to rule and subdue. I don't just... In the garden, when God gives instruction to Adam, tells him to rule and subdue. He told both Adam and Eve, rule and subdue. It was both male and female. You have the authority to rule and subdue. Rule is used in Hebrew always as a positive. And that positive is that you manage what's good. What This perfect environment I've created, manage it well. Take good care of this. Manage the good. But the word subdue is only ever used of putting down something that tries to usurp that. And the act of commission he warns them there's going to be some things you're going to have to subdue. It was a warning of what the enemy was going to try to do. And we're being invited back into that place where we rule and subdue. Yeah. Scary stuff. It's exciting stuff. Could we contend for a cancer-free zone? Could we contend for that? I actually think that's what's happening right now in Solomon's life. Because this isn't normal. 
which isn't God's will. But in the fight to see his kingdom advance, sometimes you've got to fight through stuff you don't like very much. Because the enemy's doing everything he can to keep our eyes on something else. Jump to first John. Now the mercy seat, we step back into that place full of the Holy Spirit where we can begin to rule and subdue. Put down the stuff. I was scrolling Facebook and I ran across a really cool picture. Tina, wave your hand. Wave your hand at us. It was Tina standing between, between her two brothers. Her two brothers are big Missouri boys. And there's this little tiny Tina between them. Go see it on her face. It's just it's a hilarious picture. But as I looked that picture, I saw the authority and the power and the presence between this little behind this little bitty girl lady woman and there was such authority yeah. size didn't matter it's what you carry what you carry you're being released back into a carrying of his power and presence. It's absolutely extraordinary. I love the amplified of this particular verse. This is what you're being invited into. The reason the Son of God was made manifest, visible, was to undo, destroy, loosen, and dissolve the works of the devil. You're being invited into his commission with the responsibility to undo, reverse it, make it as if it never happened. <laughs> to destroy, to defeat it completely. Literally the, literally, the word means to reduce to useless fragments. I, I want to, I everything the enemy's done, I want to revert, reduce to useless fragments. We're praying that over the cancer in Sally's breast right now. Just destroy. Loosen, to untie, to release, to set free from bondage or restraint. All these concepts are in that word. Destroy. Dissolve, to shut down, to break up, cause to disappear. That, that we, we, we don't always understand the dissolve, but it's actually used... The, the, in the context of like we would dissolve a corporation or something existed but after you dissolved it it didn't exist anymore the works of the enemy existed but now they don't exist because you dissolved them <laughs> ministry team come up quickly in the Brownsville revival there was a song that really we all know because of that move and that song was the mercy seat. And I want us all to stand together right now. And this is the invitation this morning. If there is anything holding you captive, if there is anything that's got your attention, your gaze, if there's anything keeping you from looking at him and his blood alone, this morning, I want you to shake that off and break it. We're just going to play that song. And if that's you this morning, just come. There's a ministry team here. We'll get more out if we need it. But just right now, let's run to the mercy seat. Holy Spirit, we invite you in this room to be in conviction, 
Lord, that we would step out of the frustrations and the things that have held us captive, that have taken our gaze and have, have pulled us away from who you are. And we take our, we put our eyes black on you, Jesus. We are fixated by you and the power of your blood and the power of the cross to transform us. We receive it in Jesus' name. Go for it, guys. Jesus, we run to the mercy seat. Yes, Jesus. Yeah, release it, release it, release it. Father, I just ask that you would work in the hearts of every one of us here. Father, this week we would walk into a revelation of what you've done. 
Lord, that areas that have been dead and held back would come to life. Father, places where we've been bound and trapped by the law, that would begin to step out of those in Jesus' name. Father, places where there's been lack, we just release supernatural provision in the mighty name of Jesus. We're asking that this would be the most incredible season of your provision. And we release it over this body of people, body, soul, and spirit in Jesus' name. If you have children next door, this would be the time to go get them. Thank our children's workers for staying late. I held them late today. And just pay, be particularly loving as you do that to them today. Bless you guys. Have an amazing week.